Father in heaven, Lord, I know that we have much to be thankful for. You are a great and wonderful God. And Lord, I pray that you would please be with us now. Bless us with your presence. And Lord, just your presence, it, it edifies each and every one of our souls, I know. But Father, also pray that you give us your Holy Spirit, a double portion, in fact. Because, Lord, we're living in dangerous times. We're living in times that are really showing that the end is soon to come. And I pray your Holy Spirit would give us wisdom in preparation and lead us. And especially as we open your word, help us to discern your voice speaking to us. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look at a very interesting topic this morning. The title of my sermon is Jacob's Time of Trouble. You know, if you turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 7. Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 7. This is where we're going to begin our study this morning as we look at Jacob's time of trouble. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. You know, I've, I've always wondered why the, the close of probation and when the seven last plagues are poured out, why is it called Jacob's time of trouble? And when I've gone back and looked at that experience, you know, it seems kind of shallow, it seems. But, you know, Jacob, he, he's a very prominent character, actually, in the book of Genesis. Um, Abraham probably has the most mentions with his name Abraham and Abram added together. But Jacob is the second most mentioned character in the book of Genesis. You know, the most famous out of all the characters that we find in the book of Genesis is probably Joseph. He's the one that we're all probably most familiar with. And then Abraham would come second. But Jacob really is one of the most prominent characters above Joseph in the book of Genesis. But I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 50 and verse 24. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 24. The Bible says, And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware unto Abraham, Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Jacob is always mentioned with Abraham and Isaac. The, the, these three, of course, they're, they're son, son to son. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are really the major patriarchs of the, the book of Genesis and really the beginning of time. Um, let's turn our Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 6. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 6. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is always mentioned with Abraham and Isaac. And for what reason? You know, it's very interesting. What illustrious characters we mentioned with Abraham. He is the father of faith. Um, he didn't do much wrong, it seems, you know. Sure, he, he had a little lie here and there, but it wasn't really a full lie. I mean, when you look at Abraham and his lie, when he said it was his sister, it really was his sister, you know. But he didn't tell the full truth as well. But Abraham, he was the father of faith. Isaac, not much wrong said about him either. 
Do you know that? He followed in his footsteps of his father. He, he lied a little bit about his wife as well. But yes, they were relatives. They, they, they were related, you know. But was it sister? I wouldn't say full well that was his sister. But, um, you know, his lie was a little bit, wor bit worse. But, you know, what Isaac did was not super bad either. Jacob is put in the company of Abraham and Isaac, his father and his grandfather, and two great patriarchs of the old times. And Jacob, well, from the beginning, he had his odds stacked up against him. As we look at Jacob's time of trouble, really, I want to look at a synopsis of Jacob's life because here what we will get is the understanding of what God's people will pass through as well. But, you know, Jacob, when he was brought into the world, he had his odds stacked up against him. Let's turn in the Bible to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis 25. Where did his name come from? Genesis 25 and verse 25. Genesis 25, 25, the Bible says, And the first came out red, all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. Verse 26, And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. So Jacob, his name actually means heel holder, or supplanter, which means to supersede or to replace. So his name actually was not a good name. It didn't have a good meaning. Even though the name Jacob is so famous, his name actually had a bad meaning to it, just like the name Dan and um, quite a few others. But little did this that their parents know that naming their name that would turn out to be a prophecy. Naming him Jacob would turn out to be what he would be in later years. And even in that same chapter, you know, the, the Bible fast forwards when they're probably about teenagers now. Genesis 25, now verse 29. Look at what the Bible says here. And Jacob sawed pottage. And Esau came from the field and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with the same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And just from a bowl of lentils, Esau sells his birthright to Jacob. And uh, not content with that, we know that Jacob would later conspire with his mother to cheat Isaac, to lie to Isaac. Do you see that? Abraham started off with somewhat of a lie. Then it got worse in Isaac and even worse in Jacob, friends. It's not that we inherit sins, but the tendency to sin is there when we first commit sin and we do pass on those tendencies to our children. It really did begin with Abraham. But here, later on after Esau sells his birthright, Jacob then with his mother cheats his father out of the blessing that he intends for his son Esau. Esau was Isaac's favorite and of course, um, Jacob was the favorite son of his mother. And so, can you imagine? What a life. What turmoil. You know, can you imagine deceiving your dad? I, I, I'm amazed that um, Esau, uh, Isaac does not find out until later. But Esau, he figures it out and he is so angry with his brother 
that he is ready to kill him. And so his mom sends it off him, him off to his brother, her, her brother Laban's house. And but as he's fleeing for his life, scared and hungry, Jacob, he lies down to sleep and God gives him a dream. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28 now. Genesis chapter 28, and we're starting there in verse 12. Genesis chapter 28 and verse 12. This is while he's run and he gets tired and he uses a, a stone as a pillow. Verse 12, Genesis 28, And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest. To thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. So God promises to Jacob that he would bring him one day back to that land from which he's running from and that he would give it to him as an inheritance. He would receive the spiritual birthright somehow. And so Jacob, he wakes up from this dream and he vows this vow to God. Notice what he says in Genesis 28 and verse 20. Genesis 28 and verse 20. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in what? In peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I've set for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. So he wakes up from this dream. He knows that God is with him, and he says, God, if you bless me and you bring me back to this land in peace, then you will be my God. And so he makes this vow to God. And then off he goes to Laban's place. And you know what happens there? He, he meets Rachel who is watering the sheep. And, and then he, he eventually gets connected to Laban again. And what happens? He, he falls in love with Rachel. And um, he goes up to Laban and he says, look, I'm in love with your daughter. Please, I want to marry her. And he says, you work for me seven years and you can marry my daughter. What happens? Let's go to Genesis 29. Genesis 29. And starting in verse 23. Look, friends, I, I'm recounting all the history of this. Why? Because it's important and it's key for us to understand Jacob's time of trouble, to understand all the events that lead up to this one point that the Bible points out. Genesis 29, 23. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah, Zilpah his maid for a handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? Can you believe it? He was deceived by his uncle. 
deceived to the point that he married the wrong woman. And not only was he deceived by Laban, he was deceived by Leah because she agreed to this. Now, if you're Jacob, what must you be thinking at this stage? What are you thinking? As you're thinking about all these thoughts, you're coming probably back to the point where you're saying, I deserve this. I deceived my father and now my uncle deceives me. This is retribution. This is justice. This is payback. This is what I deserve, right? And you know, I'm sure many of us, if not most of us, if not all of us, will probably be thinking along this train of thought. And so just as he deceived, now he is being deceived. He's on the receiving end of what he gave. So he ends up marrying Rachel as well, serves another seven years for her. And you know what happens? He is in an unhappy marriage. He's caught between two sisters, Rachel and Leah. And even their handmaids get involved as well because the wives are the ones that bring them in. But you know what happens? Leah is able to have children and Rachel is not. And even though Rachel is the one that that Jacob loves the most, Leah is the one that is giving him all the sons and all the children, you see. And so what happens in Genesis chapter 30 and verse 1? Genesis chapter 30 and verse 1. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. Can you believe that? Your wife comes up to you and I have no kids. Give me children or else I die. As if it's Jacob's fault. It wasn't his fault. It was Rachel's. The fact that he could have children with Leah showed that it definitely wasn't his side of, of the deal. It was Rachel that had the one that had problem. So he, he was just caught in this unhappy life, unhappy marriage, the two sisters going back and forth, buying the husband for a night, you know. And then, of course, he have him having to sleep with the servants as well. Look, Jacob did not have a happy marriage. He was deceived. He had a bad marriage. What would you be thinking? God, I knew it. My sins have followed me all the way here. I deserve it. And many of us would be thinking like that, wouldn't he? we? But what else happened to Jacob? Genesis chapter 31 and verse 41. At this time, Jacob has already fled the house of, of Laban, his father-in-law. But they catch up and, 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 and they have this conversation and Jacob tells Laban this. Genesis 31, 41. Thus have I been 20 years in thy house. I served thee 14 years for thy two daughters and six years for thy cattle, and thou hast changed my wages how many times? 10 times. Now look, if you change my wages 10 times and it was going up and up and up and up, I wouldn't say anything, right? But the fact that he had to talk about his wages being changed 10 times, it probably went up and then down and then up and then down, you know? So he's complaining how he was probably paid a certain amount, but later on it'd be less and less and less. So he had his wages changed 10 times while he was working for Laban for 10 years, 20 years, pardon me. So look, friends, at least if you had a bad family life, maybe you could go to the field there and just focus all your energies on work, right? 
And um, even Jacob, though, when he had his bad family life, he tried to go to the work. Trouble followed him there, I'm telling you. For 20 years, Jacob did not have peace. Do you understand this? And he, we, you wouldn't be human sitting there thinking what? I deserve all of this. Whatever I did to my father and my brother, I'm getting it back fourfold. You know, cheated by who he married, deceived by his uncle and wife, bad family, bad marriage. There's just not a lot of good that is going on here. And Jacob, he is definitely probably saying, I am paying the price for this. And um, yet God said he would be with him. He would be with him. Remember, that's what God told him when, when he appeared to Jacob in a dream, right? So even though all this bad is going on, he has to hold to the fact that, you know what? God, you told me that you'd be with me, that you would bless me. And every time he makes that turn, he sees that life isn't going so well, you know? So look, now is the time to go home. God is the one that tells him to leave. But instead of leaving peacefully with his father-in-law, Laban, he has to take off secretly and flee like a fugitive, just like what he had to do when he had to run from his father's house 20 years earlier. I'm telling you, there is a lot that Jacob goes through that reminds him of what? His past sin. Friend, friends, has that happened to you before? Have you gone through experiences and life and you go, ah, I deserve this. Oh, if only I hadn't done that, this wouldn't happen. And then we think of it five years later, I'm here because of that. And we think, oh, you know, God's punishing me because of my unfaithfulness and not realizing that God desires to bless. Look, we pay the consequences of our sins. And that is true. You know, sometimes God doesn't save us from the consequences and He didn't save Jacob from these consequences. He's gone through a lot to remind him of the bad that he's done. And sometimes God allows us to go through these things just as a reminder, look, we do have to pay the price of our sins sometimes, you know. And I'm not talking about death, but in this life, when we don't do, do things according to God's will, there are consequences. Adam and Eve, they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden because of what they ate. They paid the consequence of their actions, you see. But would they be saved at the very end? Yes. Adam, he will make it into heaven one day. He will be there at the first resurrection at the second coming. But here, Jacob is fleeing. This is the fourth thing that reminds him of all those bad things that he did when he was back in his father's house. And Laban, of course, catches up to him and tells him, Jacob, it was in my power to do you harm. But God came to me in a dream and warned me not to touch you, not to hurt you. So what have we seen up to this point? More restitution um, rather than blessing. And it was probably in line with the deception that he poured upon his father and his brother. But yet he had evidence that God was with him. 
first when he ran from his home, God appeared to him in a dream, right? And then God blessed him with a big family, even though there was um, turmoil in the home. He had 12 sons and one daughter. God blessed him with a wonderful big family. You know, many children was a sign of many blessings in those days. Um, God blessed him with many cattle and flocks. And he came out from Laban's place, a really rich man, you know. Um, God was the one that told him to go home, to leave Laban's house. So God did have face-to-face -face communication with Abraham, even though he was going through all these, what, bad experiences. And then in Genesis chapter 32 and verse 1, if you want to turn there, it was God's angels that met him and accompanied him after Laban left. So Jacob had all the assurances. He had all the, what do you say this, evidences that God was with him. And yet, he still went through many trials. I would be having mixed emotions, you know. But now, free from Laban, he looks forward. And God was the one that told him, Jacob, go home. So what does he do? He sends a message to his brother Esau. Brother, I'm coming home. Genesis 32 and verse 6. Look at what the Bible says. Genesis 32 and verse 6. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee. With what? Four hundred men. He was obviously not coming to greet him. He didn't need 400 men. He just needed five, maybe 10 at the most. But it was obvious his intent. Esau was coming for revenge. Maybe Esau thinks, oh, my brother's coming home to get his birthright. And so he sends, Jacob sends messengers and gifts of cattle and sheep and saying, I have enough. I'm not coming back for my, my birthright that I stole from you, you know. But nonetheless, Esau is on his way and Jacob begins to be fearful. Look, just a little detour. Isn't it so interesting that what Jacob desires so much, he wanted that birthright. He didn't really need the birthright to get it. You know, Esau was the one that inherited all the father's riches. Yes, Jacob would inherit the land of Canaan, but all the riches of the father would actually come to Esau and not to Jacob. He had been gone for 20 years, so all his deception was for naught. You know, if we're found faithful, friends, we don't need man's validation. God will work things out for us in his time. And because of that deception, Jacob had to pay so many times over and learn the lesson that he shouldn't have stepped ahead of God to try to do things his own way. So things don't always work out the way it seems, you know. Jacob's favorite wife was Rachel, but yet she was not the one that was buried with Abraham and Isaac and their wives. It was Leah that was buried with Abraham and Isaac and the patriarchs, you know. And Leah was the one that gave birth to Judah, who would be what? The seed through which the Messiah would come. It would not come through his favorite wife, Rachel. So things don't always look the way it seems. God works things out differently. We just got to have faith to trust in Him. But coming back to Jacob, look, 
all that we have looked at is not referring to Jacob's time of trouble, okay? This is not his trouble. It's about to happen. Esau is coming. And remember back in Genesis 28, do you remember what God said to him? I will bless you, right? Do you remember what the vow that Jacob made back to God? He says, if you bring me back to this land, what? In peace, then you will be my God. And he's not thinking about peace at this moment. His brother's coming for revenge. And here's the thoughts that will probably be plaguing you at this moment. God, you told me to come back. I've come back. I've told Esau, and now he's coming to attack me. God, what do I need to do? You told me to come back. Why? Thoughts of doubt would probably creep in. God, I told you that if you bring me back in peace, only then you'll be my God. Maybe this might be the easy and opportune time for him to let go of God instead, isn't it? But this is what he told him. And Jacob, he does all that he can humanly possible. He splits up his family and says, if Esau attacks here, at least you can run. If he attacks there, you can run. He does all that he can, physical preparation, but he doesn't leave it there. He goes over the river to plead and to pray to God for protection. Look, friends, taken from Great Controversy 616, paragraph 2. Great Controversy 616, paragraph 2. Look what Ellen White writes. Jacob's night of anguish when he wrestled in prayer for deliverance from the hand of Esau, represents the experience of God's people in the time of trouble. It is here in this experience that we will see how it applies to every single one of us, but especially in the time of trouble. So let's continue this quote. His only hope was where? In the mercy of God. His only defense must be prayer. Yet he leaves nothing undone on his own part to atone for the wrong to his brother and to avert the threatened danger. So should the followers of Christ, as they approach the time of trouble, make every exertion to place themselves in a proper light before the people, to disarm prejudice and to avert the danger which threatens liberty of conscience. Friends, what did Jacob do? He was praying. He depended what? Fully upon the mercy of God. His defense was prayer. Let's turn our Bibles to Genesis 32 and now verse 24. Genesis 32, verse 24. What happens while Jacob is praying, while he's interceding? What happens? And Jacob was left alone and there wrestled with a man until the breaking of the day. He thought that it was his brother. And as that man laid that hand upon him, he began to wrestle with him and began to wrestle. Verse 25, And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his joint, his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Straight away, Jacob knows that this is not just any normal human being. This is not Esau, his brother. It must be a heavenly being. If it was a, a bad being, it would have destroyed him. It would not have just wrestled with him for hours and hours. It would have just killed him. This was none other than Jesus Christ.
Great Controversy 616, paragraph 3. Jacob knows that it is now the angel of the covenant with whom he has been in conflict. Though disabled and suffering the keenest pain, he does not relinquish his purpose. Long has he endured perplexity, remorse, and trouble for his sin. Do you see that? All that he's gone through, he's endured perplexity. God, why am I going through this? If you told me you'd be with me, he's endured remorse. He's, he's been burdened with this guilt and he's been repenting many times over. Now he must have the assurance that it is pardoned. The divine visitant seems about to depart, but Jacob clings to him, pleading for a blessing. The angel urges, let me go, for the day breaketh. But the patriarch exclaims, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. What confidence, what firmness and perseverance are here displayed. Had this been a boastful, presumptuous claim, Jacob would have been instantly destroyed. But his was the assurance of one who confesses his weakness and unworthiness, yet trusts the mercy of a covenant-keeping God. Friends, why did Jacob need the assurance that his sin was pardoned? When he asked for the blessing, why did he need this assurance? You see, he needed this because he needed to know that this trouble that was coming, Esau coming with 400 men, he needed to know for himself that the trouble that was coming was not coming because of his sin. Esau was coming because of Jacob's sin of 20 years prior to this. But Jacob needed to know for his own sanity's sake, in his own heart of hearts, that his sin has been forgiven, it's been cleansed, and all this trouble that is happening to him now is not because of him. He had been living in guilt for far too long. And he also needed to know that God was with him. So that's why he needed the assurance that my sin is forgiven. He's been wrestling with his angel. The, the angel of Jesus Christ himself touches his thigh and it goes out of joint. And then he's ready to leave. He had no assurance up to this point. Look at this. The fact that Jacob had prevailed with God was an assurance that he would prevail with man. He no longer feared to encounter his brother's anger, for the Lord was his defense. You know, friends, sometimes the troubles that we go through, it's hard to discern whether this is allowed from God or it's a consequence of our own sins. And I know that all of us, sometimes we are plagued with these sorts of troubles. You know, Sometimes I'm tempted to ask, God, what am I doing here in Malaysia? I grew up overseas. I, I don't sound Malaysian. You know, I, I was just at a shop the other, the other week and the person asked me, um, I, was at, I was at the post office picking up a package and they said, can I have your passport? I said, uh, passport? I have IC. And they said, uh, we thought you weren't Malaysian. I don't sound it. I grew up overseas. I grew up in England for five years, Australia for 10 years, um, US for seven years. I, I've not grown up in Malaysia, and sometimes I've never had the thought of com ever coming back to Malaysia. Really, the, the major reason why I, I, I'm back is because my wife is Malaysian through and through. She grew up here all her life. But you know, sometimes you're coming back here and it's like, God, what am I doing here? Why am I back in Malaysia of all places? Even people have asked me, Ben, 
what are you doing here? Why are you not in Australia where your parents are? You know, I grew up overseas. Was it because of some sin that I committed in Australia that God doesn't want me to go back there? Was it some sort of sin that I committed in U.S. that God says, you got to leave? You know, and sometimes you're plagued with these sorts of thoughts and these situations. God, what did I do wrong here? Um, is it because I hurt that person? Is it because I said these words? What did I do deceptively or not according to your will? And we're plagued with these sorts of problems in our hearts and, and guilt and remorse. Do you go through that? I know I do. Sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night or before you go to sleep and you can't sleep because thoughts of 10 years ago or 15 years ago of what you did and all the regret comes back up and you can't sleep. It drives you crazy and insane. This is what Jacob was going through. God had told Jacob to go home. But if he listens without fulfilling all the conditions, it would be at his detriment. He had to make sure that his sins were forgiven. The crises that he kind of went through with his family life, with his work life, all that he experienced at Laban's house there, it wasn't at the expense of his life. But now Esau is coming with 400 men. And we've got to make sure that we fulfill all the conditions, friends. Otherwise, the burden of sin and guilt, along with this physical seeming problem that is coming, would almost crush our lives out. Just like how Moses, God called Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, right? But on the way to Egypt, the angel of the Lord comes ready to kill him. And why? Because his sons were not circumcised. We've got to make sure that, friends, before we step into any danger, potential danger, God calls you to a mission trip to a dangerous place, and He clearly calls you, you better go. But you make sure that you fulfilled the conditions of His promises. God could not bring Jacob back to his land in peace if he had not fully repented of his sin of the past. Do you see that? This is why the assurance from God becomes so important. Let me show you. Great Controversy. This is all taken from Great Controversy. This one passage, one long passage, 618 paragraph 3. As Satan accuses the people of God on account of their sins, the Lord permits him to try them to the uttermost. Their confidence in God, their faith and firmness, will be severely tested. As they review the past, their hopes sink, for in their whole lives, they can see little good. Do you feel like that sometimes, friends? I do. I know I do. They are fully conscious of their weakness and unworthiness. Satan endeavors to terrify them with the thought that their cases are hopeless that the stain of their defilement will never be washed away. He hopes so to destroy their faith that they will yield to his temptations and turn from their allegiance to God. Friends, it could have been easy for Jacob to question God and to doubt God. God, you told me all this time that you were with me, but where have you been? How come you're not helping me with all these problems? Doesn't that happen sometimes, friends? Why do you have to remind me of my sin of 20 years ago? I've committed sin, yes, but I've, I've confessed it already. Why are you not working in the heart of Esau? And so that's why Jacob had to wrestle. 
he had to wrestle with God because Satan was the one that influenced Esau to march against him so he could only come back to God and seek for that help to make sure that his sins were forgiven. Friends, look at this. 619 paragraph 1, Though God's people will be surrounded by enemies who are bent upon their destruction, yet the anguish which they suffer is not a dread of persecution for the truth's sake. They fear that every sin has not been repented of and that through some fault in themselves, they will fail to realize the fulfillment of the Savior's promise. I will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world. If they could have the assurance of pardon, they would not shrink from torture or death. But should they prove unworthy and lose their lives because of their own defects of character, then God's holy name would be reproached. Friends, you know, at the end of time, the, the fear that we have in relation to torture and persecution and all of that is not so much as a dread as when we still have unconfessed sins in our lives. When Jacob was wrestling with the angel, though, you got to understand this. He had already confessed of his sin. Had he been doing it with sin in his life at this time, he would have been destroyed. He had already repented. He had already confessed. He was already a changed man, but he needed the assurance. And friends, we need that same assurance before the time of trouble comes that breaks upon all the world. And so Jacob, he holds on to the angel and he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Give me the assurance, God, that you have forgiven me. Give me the assurance. And so we continue. Had not Jacob previously repented of his sin in obtaining the birthright by fraud, God would not have heard his prayer and mercifully preserved his life. So in the time of trouble, if the people of God had unconfessed sins to appear before them while tortured with fear and anguish, they would be overwhelmed. Despair would cut off their faith and they could not have confidence to plead with God for deliverance. But while they have a deep sense of their unworthiness, they have no concealed wrongs to reveal. Their sins have gone beforehand to judgment and have been blotted out and they cannot bring them to remembrance. Friends, before probation closes, every inherited and cultivated tendency to sin must be put away. If not, that persecution that is taking place all around us, coupled with that guilt, would most certainly crush us. We would lose our faith in that time, friends. Look, when you have done something wrong and you suffer the consequences, it's hard. A person that murders another person and is sentenced to life in prison, it's crushing. But at the end of time, when persecution comes and you have guilt in your life, it would overwhelm you because it would make you to think, these people are persecuting me because of what I've done. I deserve it. God has left me. Do you see that? 
If by faith you've confessed your sins and God has blotted them out, you have nothing to fear because even though you feel guilty, there's no remembrance of sin. Let me show you. Continuing on, paragraph 3. Those professed Christians who come up to that last fearful conflict unprepared will in their despair confess their sins in words of burning anguish while the wicked exult over their distress. These confessions are of the same character as was that of Esau or of Judas. Those who make them lament the result of transgression but not its guilt. They feel no true contrition, no abhorrence of evil. They acknowledge their sin through fear of what? Punishment. Just like who? Pharaoh of old. They would return to the defiance of heaven should the judgments be removed. Friends, what bearing does Jacob's life have on us today? My life is more like Jacob, not like the father of faith, Abraham. I've done a lot of wrong. I've hurt a lot of people. I'm surprised that sometimes God still allows me to be in ministry, that He's still willing to work through me. And sometimes when wrongs come up, I I think, God, is it because of my sins, of what I've done, that I see these problems in the churches as well? And it's so easy to, to blame myself and just go back home all depressed and sad. And, you know, I know that all of us, we, we have these feelings, isn't it? But friends, this is what Satan does. Look at this. Paragraph 2 of 620. Satan leads many to believe that God will overlook their unfaithfulness in the minor affairs of life. But the Lord shows in his dealings with Jacob that he will in no wise sanction or tolerate evil. So devil, he he plagues us with guilt, but he says, look, it's okay. All who endeavor to excuse or conceal their sins and permit them to remain upon the books of heaven, unconfessed and unforgiven, will be overcome by Satan. The more exalted their profession, the more honorable the position which they hold, the more grievous is their course in the sight of God, and the more sure the triumph of their great adversary. Those who delay a preparation for the day of God cannot obtain it in the time of trouble or at any subsequent time. The case of all such is hopeless. Friends, today is the day of our preparation. The time in which we live today is what will determine our fitness for Jacob's time of trouble. How should we be preparing? How can we make sure that, yes, we we, we must make sure that we, we confess all our sins, but it's more than that. What did Jacob go through? Look at this. 621 paragraph 2. This is our time of preparation, how we should prepare. The season of distress and anguish before us will require a faith that can endure what? Weariness, delay, and hunger. A faith that will not faint, though severely tried. The period of probation is granted to all 
to prepare for that time. Jacob prevailed because he was persevering and determined. His victory is an evidence of the power of what? Importunate prayer. All who will lay hold of God's promises as he did and be as earnest and persevering as he was will succeed as he succeeded. Those who are unwilling to deny self, to agonize before God, to pray long and earnestly for his blessing will not obtain it. Wrestling with God. How few know what it is. How few have ever had their souls drawn out after God with intensity of desire until every power is on the stretch. When waves of despair, which no language can express, sweep over the suppliant, how few cling with unyielding faith to the promises of God. Friends, how can we prepare for this time of trouble that is soon to come upon us? We need a faith that can endure what? Delay, weariness, and hunger that will not faint when severely tried. We need to learn the lesson of importunate prayer. That word importunate is not when you're in unfortunate circumstances. It sounds like that, isn't it? But the word importunate means what? Persistence, especially to the point of annoyance. Do you think Jacob was persistent when he saw the people marching against him? Absolutely. We need to have this sort of experience in prayer today. Self-denial, agonizing before God, learning to pray long and earnestly for His blessing, wrestling with God. Friends, maybe some of you are going through unfortunate circumstances right now. Maybe you're suffering in need. Friends, learn to pray importunate prayers. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And if it seems like He's left you or forsaken you, reach out like Jacob did. Because it seemed like Jacob, in his situation, it seemed like God had forsaken him, that he was just paying the consequences of his own sin that he had committed 20 years ago. But he didn't let hold of God, let go of God. He didn't let go. He reached out and he held on and he said, God, I will not let you go until you bless me. But before we can claim his promises, the assurance that God is with us, friends, We've got to confess our sins. You've got to repent of your sins. God cannot fulfill His promises if we are still holding on to sin. You know, too many of us get annoyed by the minor annoyances of life. What people say to you at church, look, they aren't your enemy. But don't get offended by people or what they say to you at church. People have got offended because me as a pastor did not shake their hand and say happy Sabbath to them. What people say to you at school or work, getting left out of a party, your friends didn't call you. Friends, these are the minor annoyances of life. Do you understand that? In relationships, how people react, some, some are so small and petty, you didn't sit next to me. You didn't open the door for me. You didn't, you know, the, the, the list just goes on and on. So many of us, we get upset over small issues. Friends, we got to learn to overcome these small things. If we can overcome them, 
we can be rest assured that God is building our character for the future time when there will be persecution that will come upon you when you did not do anything wrong whatsoever. You know, relationships get strained, friendships get strained over the smallest of things and how many of us, we still act like children in pouting, in sulking, in throwing tantrums. And it's a matter of faith, friends. All of this is a matter of faith. If we prayed long and learnt to endure hardships and trials, we would find all these minor annoyances of life will no longer become issues. At the very end, God changes Jacob's name. From Jacob to what? Israel. That word Israel, it means God prevails. Finally, God has prevailed in the life of Jacob. God has given him victory. God has blotted out his sin. And finally, when he's been able to wrestle with God, he does not have any fear as to what Esau will do. Friends, the battle that we fight today is not between people, flesh to flesh. Ephesians 6 reminds us of that. The battle that we have to wrestle with is between us and God. Because God can change the heart. God can change the situation. God can change the problems. God can deal with issues. He can prevail in our life. And when He does, we have a new start. We have a new beginning. We'll have a new name. We'll have a new life because we've learned to go to the source of our strength, the one that can actually deal with any problem that comes our way. Yes, even COVID-19, God can deal with it. He can deal with your financial problems. He can deal with your marriage problems. He can deal with your relationship issues. He can deal with your Sabbath problems that you have for school and for work. He can deal with any problem that comes our way. We have that in the life of Jacob. That's Jacob's time of trouble. The trouble that we're going through right now, that's not Jacob's time of trouble. All these small problems of life, of issues between people and money and property and car and whatever, education, God can overcome all of that. And as we learn to step step by step out with Christ, He's preparing us for the greater persecution that is going to come one day. Today is the day that God is trying to open our eyes to help us to see He can make us more than conquerors. Friends, today, God, He says, I will hear you in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob, defend thee. Friends, many of us, maybe you've been living in the shadow of sin and darkness for too long. All those sins that you committed in the past, they, they rear their head and they, they want to crush out your faith. But friends, don't let it happen. Hold on to God. You know, wrestle with God. Don't think that God wants us to live this way because of our past sins. Don't let that past life dictate how you should live today as a child of God. Hold on to God. Tell God, I have confessed you are faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. But now, Lord, bless me 
Don't hold those past sins accountable to my life. Bless me, God, and I'm not going to let go until you do. Don't hold back onto your past sins, friends. Hold on to God, who is mighty to save. Friends, He wants you to come to His throne of grace and mercy this morning, today, to find help in time of need. He wants you to sincerely repent of your sins, to turn away from it and have confidence to lay hold of His promises and have the assurance that He wants that He wants you to give you victory today. He wants you to be an overcomer today. Friends, He wants to guide your life today. He wants to be your deliverer. Call upon you. Call upon Him in the day of trouble and He will hear. Friends, let's make a thorough work of our repentance today. Let's make sure that we call upon God today. And let's learn to wrestle with God because Jacob's time of trouble, the close of probation, is coming one day. And the only one that can protect us is Jesus Christ, our Savior. But He can only protect us if we've confessed of all our sins. So friends, today, let's go to God. Let's bring all our sins before Him. Let's make thorough work of our repentance. And then we can have the assurance that He will be with us, that He will never leave us nor forsake us, that He will deliver us out of that day of trouble. Because why? We have the assurance that we can stand before Him today. Friends, do you have that assurance? Do you have that assurance that you are following in God's will? Have you been assured of that? If not today, make sure before you progress on from this sermon, before you move on onto lunch or whatever other activity you have after this, make sure you get on your knees and you say, God, Forgive me for this instance that I have not repented or confessed of yet. Forgive me so that when we go forth from this place, we have the confidence that our Father and Jesus Christ, our Savior, is with us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, maybe some of the sins that we've committed has been much worse than Jacob. But Father, we have the assurance that you will be just. You will be faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us if only we would confess, Lord. And so, Lord, as you're stripping all the different layers of self-defense that we have, layers that we, we try to make us to forget of our past life, Lord, remind us again so that we can confess, that we can make it right that we can have the assurance that you are with us today so that whatever happens tomorrow, we are ready, we are prepared. And so God, please guide us this day, especially on this holy Sabbath hours, Lord, that as you have sanctified this holy time, that you'd sanctify us as well. And so Lord, Guide us, lead us, bless us this day. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.